Yo, what's good, people? This is episode 171, and I finally remember the episode number. This is what happens when you tech your own show. And this man is back, Brian McDermott, all clean shaven, all right? Be ready, guys. These are fun episodes, and this one's going to be no different. The episode starts right now. Dude, I am so glad you're back on the podcast. I always feel like I'm having you too much, and then what happens is I start to miss you. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this is um, episode seven, 171. This is the Option Podcast, and with me today is the Secretary of Making Sense, Brian McDermott, um, club coach, Chicago Progressive Beach Volleyball, um, mentor, entrepreneur, uh, risk taker, um, Fights crime, saves saves the girl, the world for democracy, right? Yeah. Just want to leave this place better than I found it, man. Yeah. Volleyball scene, for whatever reason, hitting the leather ball over net just seemed to make sense to me. And it's been fun to work with athletes literally of all ages and levels. And yeah, we're, we're having a good time in Chicago right now. Yeah. You, dude, you, you know, when you coach volleyball, it makes me proud to be an American. That's why I got all patriotic. <laughs> so I want to fly to New York, go to the Statue of Liberty, and, 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 you know, knock that torch out of her hand <laughs> for America. Um, <laughs> so before we got on the podcast, we um, talked about, um, I think we talked about previous episodes. And I'd like to start there because we, we got, we have an actual agenda today, believe it or not, people, I'm not all over the place. But I, w I would like to start with something that, um, it's kind of an answer, but I'd like you to top off on it. I think regardless of the size of the club or the popularity of the club or the, the com, the, if it's a competition club or if it's a, whatever kind of club that people deem and stereotype and, you know, and have names for, you always had this emphasis on the bottom line of just do your job. Do your job, become better versions of yourself. And if the kids are learning, that's a win. And, and I'd like you to maybe echo the sentiment or top off on just uh, some of the sentiments in whom um, my fans know who you are. There's a lot of people that are going to watch this. They, they, dude, they love you. They, because they, it's because <laughs> it's all about volleyball. You don't let me go anywhere else. So, well, um, I, something I you want to talk that. about, Bill Belichick. Just do your job. The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're in a very interesting time in youth sports because. Um, in 2019, it was a $19 billion industry. Um, Aspen Institute says three years later, even after the pandemic, we are now hovering somewhere between 30 and 40 billion. And there's a doubled. Oh, close. Yeah. But 40, I suppose you're right. Uh, well, on top of that, by 2026, there's a report that estimates that it could be as high as $77.6 billion. And, you know, for people that might not know how to scale that, NFL is about $10 billion. NCAA was about $11 billion last time I checked. The so, music industry is $12 billion. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot, right? And and where is that money being generated? It's travel tournaments, it's recruiting showcases, it's the hotels, it's, you know, they're, they're you know, we're, we're in a building where they, they run a local league and these parents are paying $10 to watch their kids play three matches, right? So, you know, at the same time, Looking at it, I've, I've been doing this for the people that don't know me. This is my 20th year coaching. I've, I've, I'm certainly not the best coach, but I've seen a little bit of everything. I've coached in NCAA Division One, Division Three, 
junior college. I've coached 18 ones. I've coached 15 sevens, everything in between. And, you know, the challenge is, is while the money from a business perspective has never been better, um, you know, where that money isn't going back to is coach education. Um, it's not going back into the actual quality of the programs. And so what we're seeing and why I think it's doing so well from this perspective, but um, the elephants in the room are we have a lot of families who are playing club because that's what they feel they should be doing to keep up with the Joneses, to to give their kids the best opportunity for development. And in our region, we see clubs that that take the check from the parents in July and come November, December, that's when they're actually getting an idea of what that check covers, right? And in some cases, you have um, high school athletes that are becoming club coaches. I have a kid that's in my program who's 17. They're phenomenal, but they they played for a program for a year. And after they left that program, they got a call from the director saying, hey, we've got 13s, 14s, or 15s. Would you like to coach any of those age groups, right? Uh, there's a program I know where I know a lot of the girls who left because they didn't have a good experience, but literally accepted the the coaching positions at that same program uh, because they had a coach shortage and and they got reached out to. And for them as a 17, 18 year old, you know, Hey, it's, that's good money. Right. Um, I'm not knocking the coaches in regards to like, if they get offered the job and they take it, that's not on them. Right. But the, the reality is, is I think a lot of directors are, are solely making decisions based on the bottom line, based on their numbers. And to me, a good program isn't defined simply by the margins. It's, you know, I think with youth sports, and it's hard to be able to do, but what does your top-level athletes' practice look like? What is their quality of instruction they're getting? And what is your rawest athletes' quality of instruction? What does that look like? And how different are the two? And respectfully, I think a lot of programs have a lot of room, uh, a lot of disparity between the top and bottom. And I think a lot of parents are, are trying to find what's best for their child. And at the same time, um, I, I'm working with kids that have played club for four to five years and they come to me and I'm teaching them in the first couple hours things they should have learned within the first couple of weeks of their club experience, in my opinion. And, and they're 16, 17, they're hard workers, they're good athletes, but they're literally so far behind their peers because they play for programs where they go to practice and they're not getting the tools they need. Meanwhile, the kids they're trying to catch are actually getting the development they need and the gap widens. So um, my, my goal is not to necessarily uh, be anti-club or anti-system. I'm just pro-family. And so, you know, what we do with progression and, and what I'm excited that we're doing right now is, is we've created a new model for those kids that aren't being served by a club. Um, obviously beach is a little unorthodox for certain positions. They want to supplement that with some indoor reps, but um, I, I, I believe this is a time for parents, players, coaches to look within and say, can we find a better alternative um, for those kids that aren't being served properly by the current system? Right. All right. Well, Wow, that's a lot to unpack. But let me start with the easiest part. All right, um, you mentioned in the beginning you may, you might you might not be the best coach out there, and of course it's your place to say that and self-examine um, with the highest level level of humility. So uh, let me carry the water for the both of us because me, I don't give a damn what people think, and I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and and people believe me because they know I don't have. Um, 
uh, a promotional agenda when the, with what comes out of my mouth. You are one of the best coaches out there. All right. So um, I'll say that for us. And I think when I, I use the word coach, um, um, I mean it in, in its entirety, commensurate with your, ocu- your occupation as a club coach at this level, um, with your knowledge, with the work you put in, with the results produced, okay? Th- these are the things in the criteria in which I measure. Uh, um, I have the measuring stick on what's a good coach. And based on the work you've done and, all, and just on the short time I've known you, you've become the measuring stick in which a lot of coaches should be compared. So so let me make you blush a little bit, that little white face, that little winter white shaven face. Uh, uh, and let me let me carry the water on that and I'll say that for both of us. This way you ain't got to say it. This, one, this way nobody comes at you stupid. They can come see me. All right. Second, I, I really, really agree with what you said in the sense that some of these kids have a lot of catch up to do because uh, maybe they're at a club where they're just getting reps. Maybe they're getting there at a club where they just want to play with good people and they don't go to tournaments. But and I'm talking about indoor, you know, predominantly, but it could be applied to beach a little bit. And just being part of the club, they, they assume makes them better. And then, of course, you have coaches that are hired. Uh, and we're not guys, we're not talking about like basketball coaches taking a volleyball job. I'll take it. We're talking about volleyball players who become coaches who don't who think that their playing experience automatically qualifies them to be a coach. Right. We, we uh, um, my program director, I'm going to out him a little bit. Jason Olive, he's he's a fantastic coach. But there are some of the debates we have where um, he falls back to. Uh, as far as citing as a pretext why he's right, he falls back to on his own personal experience as a player, all right? The guy reaches 12, too, right? The three-step approach is going to work for you. Good for you, right? <laughs> what about the person that needs that extra step to adjust, right? What about that extra step that divides anticipatory versus reactionary? Uh, you know, what about uh, um, knowing that, and I'm saying this again, two body types and, uh, are not alike, right? We got... Um, what, what is it? We got minute, um, Wisconsin that won last year. Most of those girls use a three step playing in five sets against Nebraska. The entire teams use four steps. So, so, um, I really, really like what you said. So those, those are the the two things. And 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 I've gone so far, I can't even remember the third thing, but I don't even think it matters at that at this point, because I think we, um, we hammered our point across. Um, now here's my next question. Uh, and we got plenty of time to cover the other, but but we're getting somewhere with this. I had a meeting with um, some of my, uh, like a Zoom meeting, and some of the parents, you know, were worried about like assistant coach coverage and just like there's a lot of kids and if, is everybody is everybody getting like the full experience in this and that? And this is the reversal, okay? Uh, that, that, that we need to talk about as well. And I said something really, really, really important that kind of froze everybody in a meeting. And, and, um, and I said, Mother Teresa once said, and she probably didn't even say this. I, I'm, I'm probably misquoting the hell out of her, but it sounded appropriate. I said, Mother Teresa once said, one must participate in one's own salvation. Right. So at what point, when does the player and the parent become responsible? If you're a club that if your player needs to be strength, we have a strength and conditioning coach. If your player needs some work from the, the muscles between our ears, we have a sports psychologist. We, we have, uh, um, you know, someone, a coach is telling them that at this age, you got to do this now or this bad habit's going to be stuck forever. Right. So if there's if there's a um, either a willful ignorance or a stubbornness or 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 just another direction that the player wants to go. Uh, uh, my question is, and, I'm, and if you don't get this question, tell me right away. At what point um, does the do the parents and players participate in their own salvation? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I'll probably kind of answer mm-hmm. it in 
stem to something else regarding it. Um, cause, cause we always want not you and I always necessarily, but I think in society, we always want like absolutes. We want black and white answers, right? The other day we all have our, our roles, right? So, you know, a player's job is to make sure that they're accountable for the things they commit to. So, you know, if they want to be successful. Obviously they have to be showing up when they're supposed to at practice, supposed to be giving their best effort. They're supposed to be, you know, I, I love what Hugh McCutcheon has been saying on a lot of podcasts recently. Like it's not about being the best player on the team. It's about being the best player for the team. Right. So, yeah. so your job is, is to be there when you're supposed to, to participate the way you're supposed to give your best effort, respect your peers, et cetera. I mean, those are the two things that I really hold my kids accountable for best effort, respect your peers. Right. Uh, parents obviously have a responsibility to, to, you know, make sure certainly for kids that are under 16, make sure the logistics are taken care of. Right. Um, obviously, you know, my parents, I, I'm very lucky. I, I, I have great relationships with, with majority of my parents. They're allowed to watch practices. I encourage them to ask me questions. Uh, you know, I think a lot of parent player issues that I saw when I worked in club and I kind of served as a arbitrator sometimes between some of my coaches and some of their parents is, is, you know, parents are paying thousands of dollars and, you know, their time at weekends and they are obviously wanting the feeling that my kid is being given the opportunity to keep up with their peers. And at the same time, a lot of them, like this is brand new to them on, on what volleyball is and what youth sports is now, and what's important and what's not. Um, so, so, you know, they're, they're, uh, sometimes their expectations have the right intent, but the execution, you know, it's our job to make sure that they understand. And what I found is, is the more that I'm, I, I tell parents what are important, I tell them when it's not, and then going full circle to the coach's role, right? Our job is we actually have to make sure that we're doing our part. Um, and that means that, you know, finding that balance between, I get when you have travel tournaments, like you want to set the team up to win and be successful, but all these kids are paying the same amount of money and they're putting the same amount of time in for their individual development. It's a complicated thing with indoor. And, you know, I get it for high school or college, where, you know, there are only a certain amount of people that can be there and you're taking a spot that someone else didn't get. Yeah. So at that point, you know, they, but that's far CD, right? That's different. Well, that that's like, Hey, I might take you for a position that you don't normally want to play, but this is your way to contribute to the team. Do you right. want that? Yeah. Right. I, I have a little less empathy for the programs that try to make the kids fit their machine mm-hmm. when the parents and players are paying a certain amount of money. Right. And you get some kids that, you know, they're undersized and they'd like to try to play at high level college and you just put them in the middle because that's what your team needs or, you know what I mean? And, and here's the deal. If for tournaments, you need to do that. I get it. Um, but, but I think where we're falling short a lot is our job as coaches is to develop the athletes, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I always told my parents before the season, like, look, here's the deal. Like I can't give everyone equal playing time because I have to teach your children how to work for their playing time. Like if they're, going to high school or college and they're not on the starting lineup and they're not the role they want. I, I have to be transparent in telling them what they need to do to get the role they want. I need right. to make sure at practice, I truly give them both the guidance and the opportunity to earn that spot. Um, you know, but, but at the end of the day that that's kind of, of, you know, my, my promise to the parents was I can't give everyone the same playing time, but my commitment is that practice, every single kid gets the same opportunity for growth. Right. Uh, I started every practice, um, everyone served, everyone passed, everyone hit. The only thing I didn't have everyone do was set middle because people that don't have the aggression or the touch of the ball to set aren't going to get the job done. And people that don't know how to play middle can hurt other people, right? No doubt. But everyone got, like, we spent the first half of practice really doing mechanical work. 
Um, you know, and, and so a lot of kids that come to my program or I'm starting to do private lessons with them and they're playing club and they're struggling or the parents are frustrated. Like I had this girl that in one hour, we improved three things like that. Like she's 16. She's played club for four years. And honestly, things that my 12 year olds, I give the first day and she was able to be taught. Right. So this is a kid that had the tools and, and from everything I saw has put the time in and has the effort. But when I asked about, you know, what, what happens at their club practice, like they get punished when they make mistakes, they get yelled at when they make mistakes, but the coach is just telling them, I'm just waiting for you to fix it. Right. They're telling them they have to do the skill better, but these coaches are not able to to look at a player and see the mistake and then help them identify the cause right is it you know you're shanking passes are you loading your feet and locking them so that when the ball makes that little move on you you're swinging your platform are you you know not focused on shaping your platform to the ball are you just meeting the ball where it is right are you not moving your feet fast enough like there are basic things that i think every coach should be equipped with to give the kids the feedback they need and it's not happening so um i i I think it's it's case by case. I think parents and players absolutely have like at the end of the day, I can only go as hard as they're willing to go. I can't take a kid that doesn't have the motor and and make them something they're not. And at the same time, I got to tell you, um, you know, I think some coaches might look at me and the fact that I'm not going to yell at my kids. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to force my kids. I'm going to tell them what they need to do differently. I'm going to tell them when I think their effort can be better. I'm not going to beat them to greatness and my perspective on that is is the greats i've coached i didn't need to tell them to be there the extra time i didn't need to tell them they were coming to me at water breaks after doing a drill as good as i can hope for them to do it and asking me what they could do better right i i i think sometimes we we and and i blame the governing bodies and i blame the people up top because we've absolutely leveraged parents want to keep their kids uh invested we we've made people feel that if you put your kids in the system, we're going to churn them out and make them college prospects. What I don't think we've been honest with is that, you know, 94% of kids that play high school athletics will not play at the collegiate level. Right. I don't think we're honest about the fact. I don't think a lot of people realize that of all college students that enroll in a four-year school, only 41% have a degree from that school four years later. Hmm. Um, I don't think, parents are are aware of some of these coaches lack of coaching experience and and really it's not a knock on the coaches it's a lack of the governing bodies having a better minimum expectation and minimum we we teach people how to do drills we don't teach them how to do them right we don't teach them how to break down the individual mechanics we could be doing much better with that so um i I've, i'll always hold my parents and players accountable but in this conversation and looking how much money is being generated and the fact that I watch kids, even though the sports science says we shouldn't be playing year round, they're committing to it because that's what they're being forced to do. Um, I, I put a lot of, you know, when it comes to salvation, we could be offering a better product for those kids that need the extra guidance to keep up with their peers. So I, I, I it's crazy because I think as far as like, I have like this little written thing to make sure we like check all the boxes and because you're a genius, we've already, we're already neck deep into it from top to bottom and your, your, your mind, your supercomputer is actually working the piece of paper on my desk from top to bottom somehow. So I'm going to do the best I can to not F that up. You, you, you seem to have a plan. Um, <laughs> <coughs> Um, saying what I see, man. I'm, I'm yeah. It. I, no, because the first thing I had was right now, the man. first 
subject matter I had was the conflicting forces of what kids need to be doing versus what they're being told. And, and we just, we just, we just boomed. We plowed, we just plowed through that with the tank and, and we're still not even done. Um, but I would like to e echo the sentiment about um, punishment versus positive reinforcement. Now, I'm from the old school, like all of my mentors are Eastern European, so that's, guess what, <laughs> right? We're on the torture rack <laughs> and liking it. So, I'm not judging it, but I'm, I'm no, curious, but, um, like, like, No, but here's example. where it changed. Here's where it changed. Where it changed was I, I talked to my wife who, who you know, loves the sport and is, is ingratiated in it, more and more beach um, like you. And she, there was like, we we're getting aced on service eve and I'm just like back line and we're like 10 suicides into whatever. This is like 10, 15 years ago, right? And my wife said, maybe she can't, you know? And and I'm thinking physically, like, what do you mean she can't? And then I, I thought about it. And only like five seconds into the conversation, I'm like, maybe she can't. And maybe I'm just punishing this girl uh, um, who psychologically, there, there's something where she can't just move her behind and get there. So there, there was something, you know, when you're, when, you're for, when you're in your coaching phase, like I've been coaching 25 years, uh, um, a little, just a little bit longer than you. Um, in fact, I was coaching when you were playing in college. So, <laughs> so um, and we'll get into that later. But, but uh, I think the first... I'm stubborn. It took 10 years. It took the first 10. You know, I'd like, I'm a wise old man now, but <laughs> wasn't always that way, bro. And, and now I really, really don't do it. I really don't punish kids unless if kids are talking when I'm talking backline, that's it. Because there's a general respect that if they have something to say, I shut up and I'm not talking to someone else when to do that. So, so it's not like I owe them that level of equality as far as rank and file is concerned, but I do give them that. And I think that's fair to expect that in return. So, um, so you, we've always had these debates where I always said no championship team exists exclusively on one or the other, but we're not talking about championship teams. We're not, we're not even talking about competition. We, 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 we might be talking about competition club, uh, a competition or certain clubs that are a competition club, but I echo your sentiment. And, and it's very, very important for a lot of the, the coaches out there that think a kid might be lazy. Maybe there's something going, something, something else going on out there. Right. And it's, and it could be generated. Like you said, um, they, they, they can't mentally push the physical or two, um, the conflicting forces of what they need to be doing that, that leads them to that versus what they're being told. It's a big, what they're being told uh, uh, could be a tool, but it, but we, we we stumbled onto something really interesting because it, it, it's, it could be the biggest obstacle that people are looking past. Well, I just think a lot of, you know, kids don't make mistakes on purpose. This sport is the room for error is minimal. Like why is soccer such a good little kid sport? Because 20 kids could be doing the hive and walking around the ball and whiffing on the ball and making bad contacts. And they just keep following the ball play continues, right? Like it's continuous. And the moment that, you know, someone makes a mistake, the play ends and everyone's looking at it. Hmm. Right. And, and our sport is so much about movement and balance and fluidity and confidence and quick decision-making. And so for me, um, I mean, honestly, the reason I just got away from it was I, I just, you know, I remember being in high school and it was like we had our setter in a hula hoop and we had an X amount of time and the serves were coming rapid. We had to pass X amount of balls that they could catch while keeping one foot in the hula hoop 
in that time or else we had to run right and and to me what does that create it creates tension creates you know um not wanting to let your teammates out we'd shank a couple and you'd feel the energy come on guys let's go from everyone on the sideline like that doesn't make me looser and more fluid and and what i tell people like server seat all it really is if you think about it, it's a race to where the ball's going and can i get my arms angled where i want the ball to go it's all it is right well the more tense i make my players the worse their movement gets, the worse we're going to pass. So in a weird way, like what I tell my players is when you're not passing well, you got to be more confident. You got to be more aggressive. Like I want you to assess, you know, did the ball catch me high? Okay, that tells me that I got to be more behind the ball. Is the ball dropping in front of me? Like every mistake is an opportunity for growth. And when all we do is yell at the kid for doing it wrong, instead of saying, what'd you feel there? Where'd you actually contact the ball? What's the lesson from that? Like, how do you expect kids to get different results when we're not giving them the opportunity to think about it differently and approach it differently so that they can actually, you know, get a different, um, you know, result next time they do it. So I just, you know, suicides don't make kids better volleyball players. And, and my personal take, again, I, I don't, I don't carry the burden of my kids success. I certainly don't take credit for the ones, you know, we were just talking before the podcast started, like, Jess Horowitz is 17 and, and in 14 months went from an indoor player that just started playing beach to she's winning women's opens. Right. And, and I, I think about Karch's high school coach. If you ever saw the documentary where they interview him, he's like, the only thing I did for Karch Karai is I didn't screw him up. And that's how I feel about that player. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, it was I a goofy think, foot. What, you, what is he talking about? But go ahead. <laughs> you know, well, in the sand, you can get away with that. And at the end of the day, I'm sure his two indoor gold medals didn't mind his goofy foot approach too much. It was crazy that he could switch it by. No, of we'll, course. we'll get on that tangent later. So, well, so Phil's sand, got one, right? Didn't Phil have yeah. one? It, uh, well, again, in the sand, because you're not broad jumping, I think mm -hmm. you get a little less. Um, and I know some people would right. cringe if I said that because I know the, the sports science. But you, you jump much more up and down. So I think the 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 abrupt stop of a goofy footed approach is is I, I still prefer the other way. Right. But you know, but hey, I, but day, you, I'm gonna let me result. let me interrupt you at the, at the time Karch was playing. Um, there they if you look at the videos, those guys were not broad jumpers. They were guys that were just shooting straight up. Sure. And and I guess it were, since I brought Karch up, I have to finish this. He wasn't a complete goofy foot. He just did what he had to do to get both feet that allowed him to go straight up. You watch yeah. the '84 Olympics. He goofy foot one, and then like two two jumps later, it's traditional. And yeah, then, and, and, I and I'm like, shit, it. he just did it again. He just did it again. And I'm like, no, it's traditional. Uh, so you think you, you, you think you're seeing things. He's, he was quite yeah. the unique, a, a unique example to you. So, so, so on a much lower, lower level, something for my game after I had my shoulder surgery uh -huh. and I had to play a full summer lefty. And what I do now is like when I'm on the right side and someone hangs my set way on the inside, right. Where it's hard to get my, you know, yeah. normal right-handed approaches. Your lefty approach. I will approach open up and finish. You know, it would be goofy-footed if I hit righty, uh -huh. but I flip it right. So obviously, Karch, like the ability to get his feet around the ball and still, you know, switch his footwork, but do it in a manner where he can still get open and use his dominant arm. Yeah, I mean that's why he's more built, right? more than one way to skin a cat, you know. And so, and listen, so, the, the guy's God, but I got I do have to remind everybody that there wasn't only one gold medal handed out in the history of the Olympics. All right, so you know so, you got other people that were just as good that 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 also have medals that did it another way. So I'm yeah. very I'm trying to be very very careful before I go all I, I sound like a West Coast fart. 
you know, just just talking. <laughs> I mean, look, you know. uh, there's plenty of other people, but the other day he had the longevity of LeBron's career. Yeah. Right? He won his, I think he won his first doubles tournament in 17, three national championships in college, two gold medals indoor. But that had the first little to do with his footwork, though. I mean, the guy, no, the guy was, he was impossible to ace. Right, yeah, his blocking technique. Well. The guy was blocking guys who were six foot six. In fact, in the '88 Olympics, he was front row with Jeff Stork, and he switched because um, Andres Tejera from Brazil was murdering them. Uh, um, and and they switched. Jeff, he told they told Jeff to hit left side. Jeff Stork lefty, and Karch, who was a setter at UCLA, was just gonna block and set on that side. And he ended up getting like, uh, it was crazy. They were down thirteen eight. You know, uh, old school. Mm -hmm. And they won 15-13, but four of those were blocks from Karch. That's unbelievable. <laughs> you know? I've never heard that story. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And, and so. two, well, two or three of them were in a row. So, you know, so it was easy to remember because he actually did a, a couple in a row. And right. and the crowd and soul were just killing it. But so, not trying to veer off subject, but that was fun. No, you're fun. good. That was um, a little fun fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so getting back on, on the rails, um, you know, here's the deal. I don't ever see someone make a mistake where I can't tell you what it was. It's the spacing, it's the timing, it's the mechanics. And if you really know what you're looking for, there's always a fix for the next time, right? So all I'm in the business of doing at practice, I'm not gonna punish kids for mistakes. I need to make sure that they can start identifying why their mistakes happen. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you're at the same point. I hit a ball and it's going long. I know before it even leaves, like it leaves my hand. I don't even have to take my hand or my eye off of it. I know it's going long, yeah. right? Like. You just, you feel, we have to teach the kids the feel. We mm -hmm. have to get the kids away from thinking that a shank pass is bad. We got them to think about why it was bad. Right. Was it my spacing? Was it my timing? Was I not focused on that? Like, I think a lot of times we're thinking about so many things. Is the one thing we're not thinking about is where am I actually trying to make the ball go? Right. There's so many times all levels for my kids where, where sometimes the one will get in a passing slump and, and they're getting frustrated. I'll just come over. Are you thinking about like where you're really trying to put the ball? Well, no. Because they're busy thinking about how they're screwing up and they've got their old coach's voice in their head beating yeah. them up mentally. I've had adults. Like, they're, also, people, they're also thinking yeah. about technique too, right? Because some of the coaches found that respect, but some of the coaches, you know, push, pitch these little reminders and the kids, like you said, cling to their reminders and for, and they do forget, wait, I can do all of this right and still forget that that it, this, this ball actually has to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, this ball has to go to a target. <clears throat> Yeah. Okay, so think sorry. about like, you know, hand sitting, because I know it's something that you might want to talk about later, too. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of people <laughs> that have good hands, but there's a difference between good hands and being a good setter. Right. And, you know, on that note, what I try to tell people and, and I see a lot of success with this, I think sometimes when people are new to hand setting on the beach, they're really concerned about the cleanliness of it. Right. Which obviously that's important. Mm -hmm. We got to make sure we're symmetrical. We got to make sure that we get under the ball, the right spacing. But. What I find is the more that the players are really thinking about exactly where they're trying to put the ball, like what I tell people, see if they can do this from the side, like imagine the arc you want the serve to do or the set to do. And is your elbows, like when you follow through, does that arc, does this my arms match that arc where you want the ball to go? Right. Right. And what I find is that the more that a player is really focused on where they're trying to put the ball, naturally their mechanics and their techniques better because there's more intent on where they're going. Because when they're, all they're thinking is no spin, you know, they might put a perfect no spin ball five feet away from where their partner actually needs it. And the more that they're actually thinking about where they're trying to put it, just naturally, like, okay, if I want the ball to go there, like my hands are following through there, I usually get a better result. So 
you know, again, I, 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 the last thing I want my kids worried about is getting benched, getting punished, getting yelled at, letting people down. Like we got to be trying to make the play like glorious mistakes. I tell them at practice, like I want to see if you're going to miss your hit and it's a good set. I want to see you putting that ball through my, like off the court net versus like hitting it soft because you're trying not to screw up. And then if you go for it full speed, I can help you with what is, was it your spacing time and mechanics versus tell you, Hey, you got to go for it. Right. And, uh, it's amazing when you put those kids in that position and they no longer have to fear mistakes, how much more aggressive they are, how much more confident they are with their movements, their technique gets more fluid, and and you get the best version of that. Yeah, and also I you'll find that the other players are behind them and supportive on it as well. You know, like I, I think punishment punishments as a consequence do kind of it is the recipe for turning players against each other, right? This person's, you know, which doesn't really rear its ugly head in, in boys and men's volleyball as much as it does girls because girls, you know, the sisterhood and the togetherness and the camaraderie is, um, there's a significant, all the studies show it's a significant level of, of, of uh, a priority and, and importance. Um, so um, what I wanted to say was I went from a punishment coach to, turning the punishment drills into rewards. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so like if, if someone won a drill, she got to do the pit, you know, and then now you got kids saying, I want to do the pit or like, like the suicide. Like we're, we, right. we're trying to beat a certain time. So the winner would actually try to beat the, the next time. And now you got players coming up to you saying, can I do it next? And I'm like, if you win the drill, <laughs> you know? Nice. So, reverse, so reverse yeah, I got, I got girls begging to be punished now. Uh, <clears throat> can we go really back? Can we go back to something you said about um, mm-hmm. like the bonding, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, and I didn't another... mean to say study show. I, I don't no, 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 like no, that, no. but, but not, I wanted this. I wanted to, yeah. Don't worry. Let, let me, I promise. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going a different direction. Um, something else that I'm noticing and, and where I think that it's important, you know, again, I think, I think, you know, why do parents and players get so hung up on playing time? And and the reality is, is so many kids are working with coaches that aren't coaching. Like, we can't beat around the bush. This is the reality. There are a lot of coaches that are not qualified, that do not know how to help kids get better, right? And when you're paying thousands of dollars, you're showing up every week, all you really have as a reward when you're not getting the development of practice is playing time, right? If you're not... If, if, if you're not getting the education, but you're at least getting to play games, you know, for people that don't know any better, like, okay, well, that, that becomes the measurement. That becomes the bar, right? If I'm playing, that means that my coach says that I'm doing well enough. If I'm not playing, it means I'm not. That like that That's what I think some people subliminally think. And, and, you know, what I've found is the better that the education is, the less the playing time matters. I had some of my best relationships uh, with some of my my parents and players that didn't get as much playing time as their peers. But those were kids that for years never um, got playing time. They were always playing catch-up. And and they didn't get the ta- – like, I was that kid in high school. It was 5'5 with a size 12 shoe. Girls be nice to those boys. They grow on those feet and they remember. Yeah. And, you know, the truth was, was I was outworking my bigger, faster, stronger peers in conditioning. I mean, I won with these big clod hoppers, but I'm, I'm – working my butt off because I just want validation at that point in my life. Um, and I, I'll never forget uh, AJ, no disrespect. I, AJ was a good kid. He was six, five. And, and I'm sitting there trying to do everything I can to be successful. And all that coach is doing is nurturing that six, five freshman, right. Who not, no disrespect. 
he didn't have the same drive or or hunger, right? I didn't expect playing time. Of course, you're going to put him in instead of me. But I couldn't even get the same attention from the coach to 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 learn things, right? It, it was not equal. And I think a lot of families see that. So why do some kids, you know, we, we see toxicity in, in the girls, you know, environment sometimes. And I think when you literally can recognize that if I perform at a certain level, that I'm being treated more worthy of that education that I want. And if I don't get viewed as good enough compared to my peers, then they get it and I don't. We turn girls on each other and it's wrong. Because it shouldn't be so important to be on one team or other to get a different education. And I see clubs that throughout the season are moving girls up and down teams for no other reason than well, what's best for the team at that point, right? Right. But in the meantime, you're you're destroying kids in the process because again, you sports is supposed to be for most of these kids their first experience with failure and teaching them resilience through that failure, teaching them when they don't get the result they want right off the bat, how do we go back to the drawing board so we can try again? Mm -hmm. right how to work well with others and i think this version of youth sports that i see is doing quite the opposite again i get kids if i'm if they're lucky enough to get to our program after um that that come to us with the mindset that again if if i'm not as good as my peers i'm not deserving as of, of their opportunities and what does that tell them as they go into the workforce what does that tell them when they go to college right what, what do we do for these kids that are doing club because it's social, right? And right. and they have a bad coaching experience. And and I have parents that, that that tell me just terrible things that their kid goes through. And they sign them up for the same program the year after because it's year round and that's the only social circle that these kids have. But they'll they know that it's toxic, but they let the kids stay with their friends. Well, what are they gonna do when they go to college and there's a clique that they think's the cool kids and they do some things that you don't want your kid to do? But their youth sports is literally reinforced. If this is your way to stay in the socialist group, even if it's toxic, stay with it. Like, we need to start recognizing that if you don't, you don't need to pay for your child's social experience. That should not be tethered to, to why you're paying for club. And if you're not getting the mentorship and the guidance and the right tools, regardless of your level, then you need to look for a different alternative for your child because otherwise, not only is it not going to help them keep up with their peers, we're going to be looking at a whole set of mental health issues in the next five to 10 years that that the clubs that are making this money aren't responsible for, but they're certainly a factor in why they're coming up. Well, I'll go one better. Like you you said, like, what what is this going to tell this kid when they get to college? I'm like, to hell with that. She's 14 right now. What is that going to tell that kid when she turns 15? <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm school. saying? That never even, 100%. never mind, like, uh, um, when she becomes an adult. I mean, what, is it, what does it tell her next year? And, and I think it's a very important discussion because this – is not a self-manifested thing that comes from coaches. It comes from a certain generation that teaches kids um, that you have to do this to exist in certain in social circles. It's taught, and it's and it's look, it's it's taught by coaches who are part of that. That's who might be part of that social circle, but um, the 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 parents don't. To me, the parents don't get off easy on this one, but. But at the same time, the parents aren't hired to take care of their kids. You know what I'm saying? So, so I, I understand. I see the coach's responsibility in, the, in that respect, and and we just have to remind everybody that it's not 
these, the kids don't come up with it on their own. They're taught. And if we don't pick it up or if we're one of the guilty culprits, it's something where self-examination and just and maybe just coaches having a meeting and holding each other more accountable and saying, hey, this is, you know, I like you and you're a great skills coach, but this this is what we need to do to be better for the direction of this club and this and that. And you and you as a coach and a program director kind of get what I'm saying because you're you're twofold. You're not just looking at it from uh, um you know what I'm saying? From you, you get you get a bunch of kids. Sometimes you pick them. Sometimes you you know you didn't get you didn't pick those kids, but you're you're, you're stuck. Maybe stuck coaching with them or not. So you you actually see it in many respects. Very much like my program director Jason Olive. So, um, I mean, I'm you know that's part of the reason I left <clears throat> for Beach because like for indoor it is like okay you make your team in November right mm-hmm. and then January February hit and some kids aren't fitting. And you might only have them for a certain position, right? And and again, they're paying. So it's like, yeah, you get put in these tough situations um, where, where, you know, and, and I'm not going to fault a kid. You know, we, we have to give our best effort, but I, I get very defensive of kids when we, we talk about how this generation's soft and how easy they have it. You know what? <laughs> we don't remember, respectfully. <laughs> we don't remember. I'm 38. And we don't remember, I think, that when we were in the summer, we actually got on our bikes and got to create sporting opportunities with our with our friends. Okay. Everything is business and structured now. And and we got to play multiple sports. And now, like for indoor, from 15 to 18 between club and high school, if you want to be part of the in crowd, you don't get a single week of offseason. You don't. You go at nationals that finishes the last week of June. There's this three week period where it's supposed to be blank before tryouts. But in our region, we had open gyms and believe me, like they weren't open gyms, right? Like, like for the week after nationals, kids are in the gym trying out for the following year. And then they finish tryouts and then they go to their high school camp and they go right to high school tryouts and they finish high school. They go right to club and they do it again. So I just think, you know, I like with our pro. So, so what we've done is we've made four 10 to 11 week sessions, right? So we're in the middle of our spring session right now. We're in like week three. We take a one month pause in February, May, and August. And it's great because we got kids. I got the sophomore who's six feet tall. And she's great at volleyball. And she loves volleyball. She's really good at basketball too. And she's never been able to play club and basketball at the same time. But she's getting in the fall, she was able to get the high level volleyball rep she wanted from us. She's going to go play basketball in the spring. She's going to be back with us. Right. Um, I like it because I do think some kids need a break. And and I like the fact that with doubles, I don't have to, to compromise the, the makeup of my team that if a kid either is nursing an injury and I could see that they're trying to play through it, but it's doing more harm than good. I can say, you know what? I know you want to be out here, but it's in your best interest to rest. So yeah. we're going to, you know, Let's let's get you into PT and figure out what's going on. And we had a girl that had a wrist injury and she was finishing the the winter session. And and I had, you know, um, she looked at the PT who said three weeks rest, which was exactly the amount of time we had between the last practice and the new session. No wrist pain anymore. Right. Um, and again, like it hasn't happened often, but I do have kids that I think volleyballs work. And and while I don't yell at kids, my expectations, when I say best effort, that is not just because it sounds good. And I have no problem if after a couple practices, I think that a player, their lack of effort is to the point where it's affecting the quality of the practice for other people. I'll look at that parent and player and say, do you want to be here? 
You know, mm-hmm. is this is this really what you want to do? And it's okay if you don't want to do it. But if that's the case, like this isn't the right program. You know what I mean? Like it it just isn't it isn't fair to everyone else. Um, you can always come back if you just need to to, to recharge your batteries. But if you're going to keep showing up, this is the expectation, and and we're not bending on that. No. And I got to tell you, when you set that true environment, I don't have to boot kids for effort because they have full ownership, and you give them these shorter sessions. So that, you know, for the kids that don't want to do this year round, I got a girl with eight that plays eight different instruments. She's an incredible musician. I got a girl that's all state for musicals, you know, and she does theater and whatnot. Like, I I, I don't understand. I, I understand the money that we've generated and why certain people in power, why they're pushing the current model. I don't understand how parents and players and, and certain coaches have not worked harder with the power of the Internet. To, to provide a better alternative for kids that might not want to do this year round, that might not have the financial means for, for the fine, you know, what, what that cost is for them to spend over a thousand dollars to do a travel tournament, often to sit on the bench, like a thousand bucks in my program, that's 40 hours of instruction and five in-house play days. Which one do you think is actually going to help a kid get closer to their dreams of playing in college? Right. I, I just think it's crazy that more of the latter than the former guy. You know, I, I just don't, I don't understand why we've set the bar so low for some of our kids you know i i we shouldn't be settling for them just fitting in i want them to be included i want them to get the same ones team treatment no matter whether my top or bottom kid and in our program i could look any parent in the eye and say you won't find a kid that says that they get a lesser opportunity or less attention because of their level because of some of their other versus some of their other peers i don't think many clubs can make that claim and and my question to them is why is that okay Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think we've come full circle on, on what the kids need to be doing versus what the kids are being told, uh, Brian. I mean, this is this is this is it's crazy because this is part of the original subject matter, and I think also it there has to be this difference between um, people knowing what's good for the kid um, at a certain age and open unlocking the kid's critical thinking skills. You know what I'm saying? Like, as an adult, I'll give an example. Um, bear with me on this one. Yeah, no, uh, I was um, curious because you, you're alluding. So, yeah. so like, what, what, are, right. the, so here, what here, are the things that you're, you here, feel the kids aren't accountable Here's for? an example, right? I had someone on the podcast, and I'm just going to use an adult as an example. And, and then and then maybe you can tell me, does this apply to kids and this and that? So here we go. Um, oh, my God, I see a hottie in the back. Uh, um, <laughs> She's going to do some pain in the background. So. <laughs> That's no, Okay. <laughs> Like, I see a hottie in the background. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. And she's blushing now. Um, without remembering who it was, it could have been Savvy Simo, could have been Trevor, could have been anyone, right? Um, but I basically said that in order for them, the, the advice I give people coming up behind them is you have to have something when this becomes, this little hobby becomes your career. You have to have something outside of that where you can that, that allows you to hit the reset button and come back and, and and do your job like a mammal. And this doesn't just apply to athletics. This applies to Wall Street, right? Wall Street, they have their they have something they, that they do that a lot of people don't know about that allows them to come back for them to come back and do the most their 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 difficult job. So um for example, you said you had kids that are musical theater and this and that. Maybe that's when volleyball that used to be their escapism is now this this business or this this something that something that's more than just an escapism is it up to 
parents to unlock their critical thinking skills for them to decide for themselves. Um, that vo- is, is this my is volleyball my escapism, or does this these other things allow me to come back and play volleyball like a mammal? And it's so weird. It's it's so, go ahead. So let me ask you something. Do you feel that our current landscape allows for kids that can be very honest with themselves? Uh-huh. I I don't volleyball is not my primary. Like this is not what I want to be defined as. But I love the sport and I want to play it. You know, and when I play it, I want to be all in on it. Right. And I want to give my best effort. I want to play at the highest level I'm capable of playing. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you feel in our landscape that we've created a system that that gives an opportunity for either the multi-sport athlete, the athletes with different hobbies, athletes that love the sport for four to eight months of the year, mm-hmm. right? Do we provide an opportunity for those kids to to get an equal training opportunity of those that are on national and elite club teams? Collectively, we don't. I mean, if we're just talking about you and me, the answer is unequivocally yes. Right, but I'm saying, I'm saying, you as a know, we, we are savages. Sports, like the the, the, mm-hmm. the common parent uh-huh. that that wants to to okay, I want to hold my kid accountable. I want them to be hardworking. I want them when they're there to work hard. Right, mm-hmm. they do other things other than volleyball. Right, I, I know they're they're willing to commit, you know, four months outside of the high school season to do so. But they play another sport. They have this other, you know, chunk of time where they're in the musical, right? Right. So this is their block. Is but isn't any... that the challenge, so... though? Isn't that a challenge, like deciding that a kid's old enough to know what they want, right? I mean, no. well, but, dude, but when again... I was when I was fourteen, I wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> Clearly, that that that, that was so, not right. <laughs> but go ahead. So you know, Chris Kristen plays three days a week mm-hmm. and lifts three days a week, right? And I think a lot of Olympians have the similar model, and they have off seasons. Pro athletes all have off seasons. Right. Okay. So I, I agree. We have to be, we have to make decisions. We can't do everything. Chris and I talk about it. We can't do everything we want to do as adults. Right. Um, why is it, why, why in a time with the internet and with the knowledge we have and the ability to, to transfer data faster and communicate faster, why in a time where we should be giving kids more choice than ever? from 11 to 18 to figure out their true passions, what they love to do, right? Why, why is it you, by, by 12, 13, some of these kids are being told, you only can play one sport if you wanted to have any shot at having the sport of, of a decent level in your life. Well, there's, like, Why does it have to be that way? There's two reasons. One, um, the, the arrogance of coaches to tell the kids that, that if you want to be an elite athlete, this, this is the amount of time quantitatively that you have to put in and anything less than this, uh, you're, you're showing me that you don't want it. Right. So um, you got, so okay, you got that category I'm, of people I'm, out there and that's, no, I'm pushing back too. I'm not talking, I'm not saying we are, I'm just saying that kind of person's out there and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I had to highlight that person. All right. Uh, the second thing was. Um, like you, I think it's like you said, if you get what you want, do you want what you get? You know, do you, do you love this more than musical theater? Do you want to balance that time? Uh, um, as a coach, I'm, I'm always the one to say, come on, my, me as whose, whose major was acting. It's, I mean, if we're going to talk acutely about that, I'm going to be like, go, do go to that play. Right. I got, I got one now that did a play, you know, evolution when I was dunking Avery's kids, uh, I had a guy who was being recruited to college for that. So I, I'm like, you, you it's crazy because you're trying to tell this, these kids that they can be good at this, but at the same time, you, you remind them that they're not just this. 
and that's, and that's, and that's where I was going. But, at. but sometimes, you know, again, the, the, the people that I, I find the parents that, that struggle to, to embrace what we've created at progression and I'm not knocking it, but I think a lot of them it's, it's, they cannot, I, you know, I, they come to me and I'm like, look, you don't have to do all these travel turns. You don't have to do like, you know, you should be focusing on your development because if you're not beating all your local competition, the idea of spending all that money to go to California and Florida, like you're getting your measuring stick locally, mm-hmm. right? You're being told locally what you need to work on. You don't need to go across the, the you know country to to find out more that there's even more people that are going to make you realize that you mm-hmm. need to keep putting the work in, right? Right. And and with college coaches, <clears throat> you know the idea of, of going to these travel tournaments without already having pre-existing relationships with those college coaches. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. End of the year nationals event, you want to do one big event. Everyone has the financial means and the interest to do it. Yeah. I, I think it's always nice to do something like that, but, but there are so many teams that are traveling, you know, every couple of weeks that, that can't beat the middle tier of their respective region. And these parents and players, they want to catch those people above them, but the experts are telling them you have to do all these travel tournaments and they're not getting the education in the meantime when they're actually at practice. Like right. we we have to do, you know, I, I agree. Like we got to hold kids accountable, but I know a lot of really accountable kids that come to our program that have been accountable and they're in for three to four years and they have not been fed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I get kids that in a month or two are doing things that like, they should have been doing in year one of club and they're four or five years in mm-hmm. and now they're just getting that education. Meanwhile, all their bigger, faster, stronger peers that was getting the proper education has a four or five year head start. Right. So wh- where's the outrage? Like, like where, like, I know other coaches, we, we have all these forums where people talk about it, but where are the people looking to create the change? Where are the people that are looking to create the alternatives? Like, we have more ability to mobilize. So anyone watching this right now, hi, I'm Brian McDermott. I run Progression Volleyball. I care about families. Who wants to help me provide better alternatives for the kids that love sports? That's what I'm here to do. Like, I know that there's a better, I'm, I'm doing it a better way. And what I'll tell you is my kids have fun. My kids are all getting better. My kids have ownership. And we don't have any effort issues really in the box. Because here's the thing. They don't want to show up that night. They don't have to. Right. And I have times where my kids message me, hey, I got slammed with three projects due tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Good. You should be a student. Yeah. Because we're not even getting into the reality of like 455,000 girls playing high school's volleyball, less than 8,000 scholarships. So you do the math. Like, right. I mean, grades matter. And we're not well, talking about 9 to 11% student loan rates right now. Like, well, I think it's, it's never been more important to focus on the academic. I think it's because with club, they don't consider them student athletes. They consider them athletes. And the way you've been able to implement student coming before student athlete is, is very, very, it's quite invaluable. And the kids respect you. And they, and when they're doing their projects, believe me, I think I, I speak for the kid and their parents who I don't know, but I could speak for them when I say that they, they, they you know, damn it they miss it <laughs> you know like i'm here but i really wish i was there so you you've installed that kind of culture and i think that just comes from um doing your job uh, um understanding positive re- psychologically understanding positive reinforcement and understanding the kid wants this and like you said the kid's not out there with the in- doesn't come to the in- uh, practice with the intention to make mistakes you know like tonight at 6 10 i'm gonna piss off brian and do it this way <laughs> ain't no i ain't no kid thinking like that so so uh you instilling a culture 
culture, not just that, the, the volleyball knowledge and, and the way you deliver the knowledge. There's some of these kids, and, and there's so many club kids, we can use an example, so I'm just speaking generally. They, they, they leave practice, they're in, the, they're, they're in bed, their head's on the pillow and their eyes are wide open because they want to know more. And, 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 and if your kids anywhere resembles any, any kind of story like that, that's awesome. You know, um, we're going to talk about hands in a minute, but I want to uh, I don't want us to be so grouchy. So I want to do like a feel good thing. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do a story share for my club. And then because my story share is going to is going to is going to instill something in your head where you where you do something second. OK, um, I have a girl. I'm not going to name her. Um, there's a tournament in December. Right. And we're, we're indoor and it's match point is we're at 15, 14. She serves out. Right. The other team comes back and wins the match. Right. And we're in a similar situation. Same tournament. 15-14. She serves out. She misses again. The other team wins. And the two losses we had were the difference between gold and silver. We won every single match except those two. Uh, one tournament later, I'm up 14-13. She's there again. And I, as a New Yorker, hell, <laughs> someone, right? I put someone in the serve for her. And the person that serves for her misses too. So, so, so I'm not talking about me, but I will take this moment and be like, I did everything except sub myself in, right? Now, fast forward to um, Red Rock, which is Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. Similar situation, 14, 13. She hits the serve. It's an ace, right? She's in a similar situation, 13, 13, ace, ace. So now we're kind of in the huddle, right? And I'm talking to the kids. And, and in my peripherals, because she's tall, she's looking above above the kids. I could see her eyes. And I look at her and she looks at me and we both go, you know, and, and the eye contact uh, said an entire paragraph, which unfortunately you're going to have to hear from me anyway. Uh, um, you now know what it feels like to miss, but you now know what it feels like to hit. And I consider, and I consider experience experience. I don't consider failure experience. I consider experience experience. And honestly, the only regret I had is that, that uh, is the one time I subbed her out because it didn't work out anyway. But, but I, I just wanted to share. This is just a random moment, just to make everybody feel good about the podcast, so people don't think we're a bunch of grumpy old men. Uh, um, just a great feel good moment where you you teach these kids these two valuable things, and then I'm going to give you the floor because I know you got a story now. One, um, the other team is feeling it too. The other team is figuring out what do I have to do to side out. And if you miss, it's like, oh, God, oh, thank the Lord, you know. So they understand that the pressure works everybody, every, everywhere. And two, the more you're in those situations, the more it doesn't feel like this abnormal thing. You know, it's still, there's still pressure. It's th that's still a real thing. But it starts to feel less, um, not not heightened, but like, uh, um, like not like foreign territory. So the next time she's in that situation, okay, cool, been there. And, and, and she's more likely to hit the serve because she's not uh, um, over-focused or just like, let me just do this and I miss. So the more, I, th I think if there was a moral of the story, the thing that I wanted to share just, just from my, the, two, the experience uh, the last two months since I talked to you. But it was a great feeling. We had great eye contact, which, which said three paragraphs. And there was a little bit of a smile, like, you know, like, and as a coach, you, I'm, I'm going to get emotional. God damn it, you want it for her. You want it for her so 
bad. You know, you want her to, to understand failure and success is a real thing. You want her to understand experience as experience. And, and, and I looked at this girl and she knows who she is and she's listening to this podcast. But, and, and because she's listening to this podcast, I ain't going to cry because my coach, my kids don't see me cry. That's not how that works. Um, <laughs> full circle, great moment. Would you like to share something that happened uh, with your club yeah. within, in the last two months, maybe a, 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 a fun coaching thing we can, we can reflect? I mean, just in general, <clears throat> you know, I, I what I tell my kids and I and I stand by it. Competitions are just measuring sticks, mm-hmm. right? My goal for my athletes is to help them be the best versions of themselves they can be. And we do a lot of in-game or in-house game days, right? And and the truth is, is no matter how hard my kids work, if I get eight girls, they give everything they got, they do everything the right way, we're gonna be five hundred at the end of the day. Right. And for those girls that finish below that mark what they've been given is an opportunity by those opponents to either figure out things that they're not doing on their own end, right? Which allows us to kind of have an idea of what we're going to work on at practice or what are things that opponents do that maybe we haven't seen before or we're not properly equipped at the moment to rise to the occasion for, right? So, um, you know, we've had a lot of moments all the way from, you know, at the top level, like Kristen and her partner, um last year in muskegon they they got into a match it was a one match to get in the main draw and i'll be honest like we got nervous under the pressure we did not play uh to the level that was the first time those two were in a situation where the stakes were that high and when the results got into the focus and the nerves kind of hit us like we lost 15 12 playing in uh, no disrespect the worst match i've ever saw us play and that's how close we still were that's how good our basement is right now right then we run into one of those players again in Ohio a couple months ago. We win the first game 21, I think 16. We're up 2017 in the second. And we we nerves hit. Uh, we, we blow that lead. We keep go away down ball. Eight. We, keep we, away we go, ball. <laughs> we go down eight nothing in the third and we, we lose the match. And I and I wasn't there and, and but talked to him after and, and they're distraught, understandably, because they know they could have done better, right? And what happened was, and I told him, I was like, we're going to wake up tomorrow and realize life went on. And and the next time you play, at some point, it just clicks where you realize, you know what, how many times am I going to have to be in my own way where I realize that, like, it's not helping. And the best thing I can do for my results is just to focus on the process. And last weekend, they played that same team again and and won in straight sets and played a complete match, right? Like, we, 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 a lot of kids are afraid of lo- losing because we're worried about, are we getting out of pool? Are we going to, to get a bid, et cetera, all right? Is the college coach watching it? And all I want my kids to focus on is their process. Like April Ross, the year she won a gold medal, only won 54% of her plays. Look it up on bvbinfo.com, right? This sport is not about winning all the points. It's about how we adapt. Mm-hmm. And we try to make our adaptations in the middle. And that level is about can... winning by two, but go ahead. <laughs> But I'm saying, and, and I understand the fact that, that you know, we're going to have more routes at the younger age. But my point is, is knowing that at the top level, that that's what happens, right? Why at the lower level do we panic more when we lose points, especially when we know that we can make it up that much easier, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, like, every time the other team scores on us, there should be something that we take away from it. It's either something we need to okay, they've done something we haven't seen them do before, and we need to start keeping our eye out in case that becomes the norm and not the exception, right? They do something that we're just we didn't make the right adjustment to, and we need to make that adjustment, right? Like the more you get people to focus on that, not that we don't miss serves and crucial moments, not that we don't make mistakes, 
but I don't want to make the mistake because you were worried about the scoreboard about winning and losing the right. right. Yeah. Because, because the more I take care of my process, the better results get. So, um, you know, from, from the top level all the way to like had, had a girl who no formal training undersized our sand super deep and never played any volleyball little in sand. And, and one of the first practices, high loopy floats are right in the head and hits the ground you can see everyone kind of like, and, and she kind of chuckled. And I looked at her and said, all right, well, what we learned is we need to start deeper in service. Eve, She's we? like, stop looking at me. I'm fine. <laughs> and I'm telling you, <clears throat> three weeks later, that girl's pulling off the net, starting at the net. That girl's running all three hits. She went from serving with her wrist back and hitting everything like sideways and like 20 feet out to actually like hitting her serve in and being able to hit spots. Like when you give the kids the opportunity to make mistakes, and embrace the process instead of worrying about making the mistakes. That's when we get the best results. And and I'm excited. We just got a gimbal. I'm starting to take some footage at practice. Mm. Um, I could talk about this all day, but uh, we got a lot of different level of kids and adults. And I'm excited to show a lot of teaching moments. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know when when you start giving people you know the the ability to to assess how to fix their mistakes and and not fear them. That that's when you get the best of people, and and we're going to continue to do that. And and I hope for people that really want the results, but they their coaching style is kind of getting in the way of it. Like, are are you, how much are you working on your your athlete's progress? And, but and but that was the question you ask. What's stopping them from from you know that where where this pro is doing it and the kids can't? It's because. I think people are, are, are thinking about it from, from their own process. And, and they have to understand where their process is now. Like if they're an active pro, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> but if they're an active pro, it's not the same level. It's not the same process. They're like, there are levels to two processes, right? Like, for example, like to, to improve some of my kids serve, I literally have them look at the spot before the whistle for two whole seconds. And then once they see the spot, 100% concentration on the ball. Because my, my, my philosophy is people move all the time, but does the spot stay the same? The answer is yes, right? <clears throat> Where like a pro, maybe they're still doing that when they were 14, or maybe they just they just know what the court feels like because they're, it's, it's 24-7 and now it's their job, right? Uh, same thing with hitting. A lot of people can make inner decisions. A lot of people can make decisions on calls. But maybe that's not suitable for a 13-year-old, right? Maybe you give them of something I call vision to visualization. Like before the whistle's blown, I'm seeing cross court. I want to hit cross. And then if it's there, you take it. And then if it's not, you kind of scan and you veer from it because now you're veering from something that's on the court uh, as opposed to an inner decision where... Um, now it's hitting the top of the tape. Now the ball's just long. Now the ball's, you know what I'm saying? Now the ball's touch blocked or whatever. So so I think, like you said, it just it's, it just involves just coaching and understanding the age group, understanding the demographic uh, and the level uh, um, that is consistent and commensurate with with um, the process. It's, it's interesting you say that because <laughs> I'm not disagreeing, but I'll tell you, like my 12-year-olds mm-hmm. are learning the exact same system that I and Kristen run. We don't we don't do any difference in our systems. Now, obviously, our kids are pulling more often yeah. than our adults. Uh, my undersized kids are starting further off so that they can still get to that set that comes over the net, but that they can get an easier pull off the net. Does Beach um, have more to, uh, more to do with that, though? Right. Because well, maybe, you know, is the process is. faster because you have more repetitions with doubles I mean, than you do in- than you do with a 14 person indoor roster? 
Well, for indoor, you know, obviously we, we have to cater the offense and, and defense to, to the strengths of the players. I, I always, you know, again, with a very... No, I'm talking about variety. touches. In regard... What I'm do you talking mean? about touches. Like, I mean, obviously... You're, with, you're coaching Beach. Our, you, don't you think that, that you're able to do that because the accelerated, uh, the process is more accelerated because of the repetitions? I mean, it's it's. I'm gonna get more touches for my kids per hour. There's no deny in it. But <clears> did I run pretty fast practices for indoor that allowed for an optimal amount of touches for the amount of people I had? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the process didn't really, you know. I mean, it, the warm up, you know, I, I had a certain like we tried to split the court a little bit in certain ways if we could, so that we can get double reps if we needed to. We had, you know, when it was about, you know, and again for kids, so much of what I wanted to train. I think so many kids just need to touch the freaking ball the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you get kids, I, I watch where they put the kids on the wall and they teach them how to pin the ball on the wall in front of them. Right. So we teach them how to contact the ball here. And then they go to the, the court and they're hitting everything into the bottom of the net or under the net because you haven't taught them how to get under the ball so they can drive with their whole body. That's why we have shoulder injuries already. That's why we get kids that can't actually use their core, which should be an optimal part of both their serving and hitting. Um, you know, I, I just think the other day, what I've always tried to do indoor beach, you know, how do I get my kids as many touches in an hour or two that are quality so that when we do get to game play towards the end of practice that, right. you know, we don't look back and say, okay, well, we've taught the system, but they literally can't do it because we didn't give them the actual you know, fundamentals to be able to do it. Right. And I, and the reason why I teach my way is because my kids have to have a process of understanding what the court looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. I've been playing the game for almost, almost 30 years. I'm done playing. I'm not playing anymore. Coaching 25, commentating for 12. I know what the court looks like. I can't say the same thing for a 13 and a 14 year old. And, and they will lean more towards the way uh, a more advanced level when they know what the court looks like. Sure. You know, and I'm, and people for the people that don't understand what the hell I'm talking about, what do you mean what the court looks like? It's a 30. They're looking at it. It's a 30 by 30. They don't look at it all the time. They're looking at the ball. They're looking at the coach. They're, they have this finite amount of time in this gym where where it's not it's not part of their DNA until it's part of their DNA. And sure. that's why I use that's why I use that as a teaching tool. And you know what? Veering from something that's veering away from something that's on the court. Um, increased our percentages of balls going in or out, whether a ball went in or out. And they're, almost all of them are going in because they're veering away um, intentionally or maybe even accidentally. Like if you, if you have a serve location, if you have the, if the serve location, your visualization, even if you miss, right? You want to serve someone's left shoulder on position one. I served their right shoulder, but you know what? It was deep corner. It was an ace. <laughs> I'll take it. I meant to do that. I meant to do that. You know, so so uh, um, I, I could I had this uh, uh, appreciation for your your style, but also a, a genuine respect for both for uh, uh, um, both philosophies, my friend. Sure. I mean, you got to adapt <laughs> to the people you got in front of you at the end of the day. You know. Hey, like, what? Why can beach volleyball be the gold standard of healthy and competitive youth sports, Brian? Oh, I only got you for a couple of minutes. So I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, I'm you're like, good, man. You got We got another 30, so we're, oh. we're good. But hard stop at 30. Okay, no, you're right. And I talk too but, much. But but I, I'm happy to talk about this. I mean, you know, I... Let's talk I, a little... I, let me shape 20, it for you. Sorry. Um, beach volleyball. 
can be the gold standard of healthy and competitive youth sports. I just wanted to repeat that just sure. so our, understand, our audience can grasp it and allow you to take us on that journey. Yes. So, gold so standard. 10 years ago, I had the opportunity where someone said if I wanted to start a club that they would bankroll it. And the challenge and why I, I turned it down was, you know, okay, every 10 to 12 kids I add to my program, I need a new coach. And no matter how much I try to coach my coaches in house and train them, like inevitably at some point, I'm going to have a supply of kids where the top and bottom, like I can't give them the same amount. And even if I, let's say I had 20 coaches, I trained them all in house. My threes and fours coaches are going to get poached like that by the local clubs in the area. It is really hard. I, I, I don't envy the job of a club director into creating parity and, and, at the same time that that I got that offer, I started to run my first juniors beach program. We had 86 kids the first year, um, and then we doubled in size to 173 the following year. And um, the nice part about it was I was really able to to with a small amount of coaches, like we just coached more, right? And that was kind of what I was also able to see was because I didn't have to have a coach tethered to one or two teams exclusively. Um, that that. I had the opportunity to give every single kid the same opportunity for growth. And man, some of those girls who I'd seen in open gyms always showing up for indoor um, that that were lower level naturally. But boy, when you gave them the right opportunities, watch them thrive and catch their peers. Right. Like some of those girls, when I did coach 15 sevens, three of those girls made the twos team the, the following year. Right. A lot of kids just need the right opportunity. So with beach. You know, I, I like the fact that that a for the younger kids, they get a good all around skill set. Right. So you don't put the tall kids in the middle. You don't put the short kids in the libero like everyone gets an all around skill set. And there's a girl um, that that's a sophomore only, but she was 12. She was 5'10 already coordinated, really good athlete. And she was in the middle and she was never allowed to pass. And she came to our program. Well, I'm a really bad passer. And I'm like, well, let's let's get you some reps. And within four weeks. This girl was passing as well as anyone. She transferred at 13U. Boom, they put her outside. Like, that girl's going to play Division One as an outside. How many girls that have the size to be Division One outside? And I know we're talking about the outliers, which usually I don't, right? But, like, how many kids are not being put in the position to do what they might be best at because they're being pigeonholed into what's best for the teams they're being placed on, Right um the the overuse injuries like since 2000 orthopedic injuries in youth sports has increased tenfold and over half those injuries are said to be overtraining right so sand provides a straight like it strengthens the muscles but it's easier on the joints like we don't have the overuse injuries that we have in indoor even as a hitter right you don't have to be ripping every ball as hard as you can you can hit your shots um, so not I think to that, mention the, really... the, the shock of the landing, right? That can have on your knees, right. back, Absolutely. knees, back and shoulder. And, and diving, like yeah. how many liberos have these, you know, second elbows growing out of their arms <laughs> and, and their hips are all, I still got scars <laughs> Too many. from my diving days on my hips, right? Too many, yeah. So, so, you know, I think that that's a huge advantage for the kids where it, it, we're going to deal with less overuse injuries. Um, again, our model, like sand allows me. Uh, because two-on-two, two, I can do competition in-house. Again, I do have a player that's actually going to partner with someone in California. They're going to California this weekend. My truly elite players have the ability on their own to travel around the country if they want to do tournaments. Nice. Plus, it's a lot easier, you know. <clears throat> with, with eight kids, I can run a queen to the beach in-house and give these kids six games with five different partners in three hours. 
and not have to charge them all this money, you know, on the parents and the parents can come watch. And then what's nice is we do these every week and, you know, we practice, we have our game days. Okay. I'm watching in house. What are breaking down next Tuesday and Thursday? That's what we're working at practice. New game day. All right. That got better. Now this is breaking down, right? So it's a way to give the kids the competitive environment in house without all the additional costs that some families can't afford. Right. Um, but, but, Desperately, they want that competitive opportunity because, A, it's fun for the kids to play games, and, B, it allows them to to be able to do it without, you know, breaking their bank. Like, the money can actually be about the development. Um, No playing time drama. Kids can pick their own partners, right? Like, I just think there's so much – there's so much more flexibility that we can offer families as well as a sustainable business model that takes care of the people running the program. So – you know, I, I'm not in a pompous way. It's just the truth. I'm the one guy that can look parents in the Chicagoland area in the ta- in, in the eye and say, you you get the most talented kid I've ever worked with. You can have the, the kid with two left feet and no thumbs. Either way, no matter what they are, you're going to have the same opportunity for development. You're going to have the same system. You're going to have the exact same coaches. And the other thing I like about that is because we run the same system among all our kids, when a kid does end up moving up groups, we had four girls that were kind of in our second group that really thrived. And I thought they were ready to go to the, the next group. And and the transition was seamless because even though the speed changed a little bit, you know, they didn't have to learn a new, like they, they knew where they were supposed to go. They knew, like they can fill in immediately with those players. And it also makes it nice because if they have a regular partner and that partner can't make an event they want to play, you know, we've got a, a, a litany of kids that they've met that they can play and they, they've given the, the same system so that, even if they've never played together before, it won't be that, you know, unorthodox and that like, okay, we have to build all this chemistry on the fly. They kind of know what they're trying to do. So I just think, again, like, look, if you're a club player and and you've got a great coach and a great team and you're having a good experience, that's awesome. You should stay in that. You're lucky. That's a win. Yeah. But, but what we're not, you know, in our region, I think a lot of the kids on the ones and twos teams are getting nurtured. And I think a lot of kids on the lower level teams, I'm not saying there's some really good regional coaches, but most of the coaches that are not qualified, that's where they get put. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. And if, and what I think a lot of parents think as they start doing this is I'm in the wrong club. Right. So they go to another club where they get the same level coach, <laughs> and then they go to another club. Right. And what I think they need to understand is, you know what, it's, it's the truth right now. Youth sports is about money. Right. And if you're not getting the quality coaches is because of the supply and demand, you are not favored in where the supply and demand is. And you're better off in some circumstances escaping the norm. Maybe you're better finding a program like mine. Maybe you're better finding open gyms to play with adults. Right. And then proceeding to do, you know, maybe some private lessons, like find a really good private lesson work. Like, you know, Kristen was on one's teams her whole career when she was 16 she was playing on 18 ones so she played 18s three years but she really attributes finding a good private level lesson coach that that was the difference in her being able to take her gifts and and utilize them to be the best she can be right my perspective is our club practices should be giving that individual attention but if they're not um that's when we got to make the change so simply put i think beach is is you know if you've got six to eight quality coaches Beach is the only way to go beyond that 60 to 80 kid threshold and be able to still provide the same quality top to bottom with that same coaching group um, versus what we have to do for club. It's just the reality of it. It really is. And I think you also stumbled upon um, 
keeping it about the work and, and maintaining a trust system? Because you were talking about certain parents that are on second and third teams maybe maybe, maybe feel like they're not getting the expertise and the, and the TLC and this and that. Uh, similar situation um, that happened with me last year. What happened was in our club, there was a little bit of an exodus. Some of the kids left and the one team um, was smaller. Um, and we were supposed to have like three 14s teams and the second team. We had a lot of new players that were behind in the process that certain that parents felt that they weren't getting the same treatment as like the flow one team and this and that. Um, and my only solution was keep it about the work. You know what I'm saying? Very much like you. And the only thing I actually said in the Zoom meeting was, have I ever... Um, like Bruce Willis said in Tears of the Sun, have I ever not accomplished one of your missions, sir? You know, have you have I ever got an assignment where where if I said something was going to be done that it wasn't going to be done? Right. And this is something I had to remind the returning players. So what happened was it's five or six new girls joined the team uh, uh, physically uh, size, like body type, bigger, stronger, faster. I'm like. Guys, you want these girls on your team because if they get to where they got to go, or should I say when they get to where they got to go, you're going to be keep competing with them, with them for your starting spot. So, so, but, uh, so, but that was the inner me. The outer me was just do my job and just remind the parents um, what my reputation was. My reputation is I do my job and I never, I ne nothing has ever happened so far. In the two years I've been in this club or whatever, and the years before that, nothing. In fact, I could say that my whole coaching career, nothing has ever happened that I didn't that I didn't promise the parents weren't going to happen at a certain time chronologically. So, they didn't appreciate that until Vegas last weekend, where our our ones and our twos both made gold. You awesome. know. So and, and I mean, how, and how rare stand. is that? No, but how rare is that to only have two 14s teams? Not five, not ten. You know, you got ten teams and you get two in the right. mix. You get that, but only have two. Right. You know, I mean, sorry. But, but you know, and, and no, that's all good points. And, and to your point about, like, the parents, like, why do they not like that idea of the five or six joining? And and what I'm telling you, and, and you know it, like, there are governing bodies. I, I'm not going to name names, but, like, I, I'm watching propaganda. It's literal propaganda. Like, the importance of travel tournaments for recruiting. Right. So so for those parents who are paying this money and in their minds, like their goal is to get their kids prepared to play in college. Mm -hmm. And what they're reading from the people that are the experts is is it's not about the level. Right. It's not about that. It's not about the coachability. It's not about how you deal with adversity. It's about getting in front of the coaches at these travel tournaments. Right. And what those parents saw was you're bringing kids in that are going to take away my kids exposure to those college coaches now. There are plenty of kids that don't play at these travel tournaments that have the skills that are going to be able to get recruited as long as they're doing the proper emailing and sending the video out, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but I, you know, I don't want you to think like I'm, I'm letting parents off the hook for, for their accountability on like what they should be prioritizing or not. What I'm saying right. is I think we don't give parents enough grace on a lot of the same issues that we see come from the crazy parents are all because of what we told them was important. Like, why do we expect parents not to value playing time and, and their roles and travel terms and not get frustrated when every piece of literature is telling them that that's how their kid's gonna make it to the next level? It's our fault. Because I gotta tell you, when I told parents about the development, when I provided the development, 
and they weren't playing at tournaments, I don't ever have parents pushing because they see their kids getting taken care of. And, and you know, I've had kids that have been some of the best kids in the region for, for indoor. And the reason that a lot of them defect to beach is is one parent who was a former Division One athlete and his daughter was going to be a Division One athlete said, you know, Brian, uh, my daughter was one of the top 16U teams in the country. But from February to July, I saw that certain <laughs> individuals on the team, not only were they not improving, some of them I would argue was getting worse because you saw that all the emphasis was on the team, on uh, the offense system, the defense system. But it wasn't about the individual mechanics, right? And what you found was was an opportunity to give my daughter customized training to make sure that she can be exactly what she needs to be. And and that's that's what I think it comes down to. It's like indoor beach, at the end of the day, can can you, you know, it's tricky in indoor. You you have to have team goals. You have to take care of the team. But can you do it in a way that doesn't alienate certain players on the team? Can you do it in a way? Can you prepare your team in a manner? Like when we had 10 girls on a team, I would scrimmage and play setter and right front and back for one team versus yeah. watching other people <clears throat> take their team and scrimmage another team. And now you've got eight girls at practice sitting on the sideline. Right. Right. Like, we, we could do a much better job, I think, in those regards. And so. there's also there's also no harm in um, mixing it up. There's no harm in taking something that's not logical, not sensible, but at the time that's right. And I think that's just consistent with experience being experienced. Like indoor, um, I had a girl that only plays middle, only knows how to hit the one, only knows how to hit cross. I put her in the serve. She gets two aces. In fact, she was so happy the first serve went and she jumped up and down and forgot she had to go to position five. So she jumped up and down and then looked around and then finally got to her spot. It's on film. It's great. And in that same match, game three, I, I had my second libero change out of her jersey, play back row middle. We're down 15-14. Match point. We miss, we're done. Uh, we, we, get the, we get this set that's brought back from out and out and in, and she, she reacts, just like, does like a three-step approach, reacts, and this tiny girl doesn't even hit like above the height of the net, hit pipe, line, clean, that staved off match point. And I reminded her and her parents, I said, you do know, she doesn't do that. We're two and one that day. We're not three and oh, right? So, so that's just an example of just mixing it up. On the beach, It's been a while since I've coached Club Beach because that was in the summer and I'm kind of, you know, done with them for now. Um, I had two girls play an entire set with an English accent. You know, (laughs) I've got it right here. You know, up, up and down, line over, you know. Excuse me. And then I did a post-match interview. And I'm like, this is Kaylee from Manchester. That's Haley from... uh, um, from Sheffield and and it was just it was just great for the camaraderie it was great just showing that everybody can do anything they want and there's no limits to what we can do and at the same time have a good time doing it so uh, it's ha- it's not completely connected to what you were saying but I wanted to add the caveat uh, that we as coaches don't 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 steer away from the creative for the sake of being um uh, um uh, I guess grouchy professionals. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like, I don't want people to mm-hmm. like understand. I'm a very positive, like, I don't yell at my kids. Like, no. I'm very much like celebrate the good plays. Let's learn from the bad. Like, no, I'm, you are, where, you are where professional. My, where my, where my frustration is mm-hmm. and where I'm, we can't, we can't treat the, the symptoms if we don't talk about the cause. Right. Right. And so the parent behavior is the symptoms. The cause is what we're educating families on what's important and what's not. 
because I don't think we've got a 30 to $40 billion industry if a lot of these parents understood the actual odds of their kid playing in college, let alone getting a scholarship. I don't think parents, you know, I'm not saying they wouldn't participate, but I think you'd have a lot more demand saying, you know what? I'm not saying we don't want to play volleyball. We don't want to do this year round right. because what we think the payoff is at the end isn't reality. And, and it's, I, I'm just, I speak out on parents because I think it's awful that, you know, a club can, can focus on all their, their genetic outliers and their success and have no ramifications for the fact that they are literally turning over almost half their kids every single year. That's something that we should like, I know it's never going to happen, but if right. I ran the world, like I think every club should have to report, like, you know, ki- we have kids registered with USA volleyball. Like we should have numbers on, on how many kids are being retained per club. You know, hmm. I think that kids, you know, Hey, if the parents have to cut the check in July, I think that every club that is going to do tryouts in July should have all their coaches signed and registered and be able to show the parents. And you can't know what team your coach you're going to have, but here's a list of all the coaches that we have that are actually qualified and ready to go versus what happens, which is they, they bite off more than they can chew and they scramble for the next three to five months to find coaches to, to accommodate so that they can get 10 to 12 more kids tuition. Right? Well, club. So it's sorry. So I, I just like, so just to conclude, like, I think I'm a very positive person. I, I see the beauty of what new sports can be. And that's where I go full circle to like, I think beach is this, the balance where it can be something that's sustainable in today's climate, but also give the you sports should be about the youth. And, and, you know, I take responsibility for my college track kids. I have to give them a level of education that can actually prepare them. So when they're freshmen, they can get the job done. And for my kids that want to get into the sport, but they're playing catch up, or, you know, again, just because they do other things with their life doesn't mean to me that they deserve a different coaching opportunity. I, I think everyone deserves it because you never know what kid might not have volleyball as their priority, but given the right environment, they run with it. And we have that happen. Well, the obstacle is money, right? I mean, look, when, when Beach became an NCAA sport, the, uh, um, I told you this years ago, like the first time you came on this podcast, all of the club sizes have tripled or are going to triple in all the regions because it's not an NCAA sport. And now it's a chance for to get your kid uh, um, uh, maybe some some athletic money to go with that academia. But I think but is that like, I, like, why, uh, do, we, why think, do we make that pitch? Why do we make that pitch? Oh, uh, ain't no, we, ain't no there, we there, here. I'm, ain't no we here. I'm just saying what is, right. you know? Well, I'm mm. saying we in regards. To oh, like, yeah. There are 180 schools out there. If they're fully funded, they get six scholarships. And most schools are not fully funded. That's less than a thousand scholarships. You think about the COVID years and the fact that they take, you know, if a girl plays four years of indoor, the fifth year, they can get their master's and they get a beach scholarship, right? So realistically, you're probably battling every recruiting year for 100 to 200 scholarships. Maybe. Yeah, but I'm not talking right. about full rides. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody gonna, I mean, right. if you but have an 18, partially. if you have an 18 person roster and only six scholarships, I mean, you ain't, you ain't, give, ha- you ain't giving so, someone a full ride. So there's half a million girls playing high school volleyball almost right. and rising by the thousands. Why are we so quick to talk about the ceiling? And meanwhile, we just neglect how poor our base because right those now. people are unfortunately are the ones in charge and those are the ones that are that are that are that are highlighting that the people like you said it's only a handful of people but the people who have the voice and the people that are that are distributing those information are the ones that run that and decide who gets that money kind of steering that direction so, usa so volleyball accept, like, high performance and the, the answer to that is uh we have a growing number of people that don't accept that because right now 
you're you're gonna have kids that graduate high school, right? That are more ready for college than the girl that got a scholarship because you are instilling uh, um, ch mental challenges th th and physical challenges that shape them into becoming better people. You're gonna have girls that graduate high school that might not even want to go to college, and they're still gonna be ready, more ready for life than the girls who are going to college. Which is, which, I don't know, is weird because I think I, I think in your club, I think 100% of them are gonna go, whether they play volleyball or not, and this and that. They just, you know, they just want to do that. Like Bobby Jones, Project Project Serve, Texas. He has a hundred a hundred percent college acceptance rate. You know, and, and again, not all of his kids are playing beach, not all of his kids are playing indoor, but he's shaped some of these minds where they want to further their education because they, um, because of your guidance of people like him and you, the child has attained some level of maturity that goes one or two years beyond her years. Uh, um, and metaphorically in life, they're doing 12th grade grade work in ninth grade. <laughs> you know, speaking metaphorically. So th th as to the question of why is it shaped like that? Because you said, and you've been, you've been hinting this one, well, not really hinting, you've just been saying it. There is a small, a good old boys club. There's a small group of people that um, say, this is what it's all about and, and come and get it. And they make, and because they make themselves seem like a larger population than what they really are, they're controlling the narrative. We, we, it's crazy because if I didn't even mention the word volleyball, you think I'm, I'm talking about something else, sure. <laughs> right? You would have thought I was talking about Democrats and Rebloodlicans or something, you know, some, some, some real gangster stuff, you know, actually I'd like to apologize to Crips and Bloods and not that bad, but, but, um, um, but to, to answer your question, it's, 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 it's our human history to have a small group of people make, make themselves uh, seem uh, um, quantitatively bigger than they are to keep everybody else in line. All right. And that's you, what's going getting, on. It took, it took you an hour and a half. You're getting what you want. So here's where parents need to be accountable. Parents, it is not your fault when you join a program based <laughs> off of false promises right. to, to you know, put your kid in a situation that isn't serving them. But it is your responsibility to recognize when your kid is not getting that development, when they're not getting the attention, when they're not getting, you know, the mentor is looking at them as a cog in the machine for the team versus understanding their responsibility. You're the customer and my job within the goals of the team is to make sure that your child doesn't get left behind and that we're giving them the tools if they're if they're not necessarily at the level they want to be at, or at least building that foundation and building their confidence and having fun while we do it. And do that the, is and do your job. And do your job. Can you look, your job seems like this really difficult task, but at the end of the day, because you got your nose in their work, can you appreciate how one thing is taking care of the other? Like, can you appreciate how many fires? Uh, you don't have to put out fires. You ha you're doing a modern prevention where, where fires don't even get started. All right. I live in L.A. I got to put out fires. OK. And Jason Olive, my, my program director, has to put out fires that I don't even know about because he knows I don't want to know about because we took a blood oath. That if that if it became about that, I'm not coaching club no more. So we took a blood oath where he he's carrying that water for me, and I and I keep highlighting him, praising him because of that. It, uh, uh, and 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 I'm only saying it to you because you're both. He's he's a coach and he's a program director. He's both like you. So, um, I I, I it's weird because like you see, you said it took an hour and a half. That if you did your job, the parents get it. Uh, um, you're you're explicit with the parents about what you expect from them 
and what they should what they should ex expect from you as far as bang for their buck is concerned but also uh, uh looking after and, and help them guide the maturity and uh, of my daughter from teenage to young adult to full adult so um i i guess the only thing i could say about that i'm just maybe i should just have more brian mcdermott's on my podcast and and show <laughs> show people there's a world that goes beyond beyond this 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 cynical sick twisted uh, um cesspool of of winner take all in the institution of 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 lower well, lower to higher learning i think i think we're getting to a point like there are places that are starting to do a better job like i'll, mm -hmm. I'll get you in touch with john crinian and um jen feldman they run strive volleyball it's on the east coast it's a true not-for-profit club out of maryland you know john uh, yeah john, are you kidding me john John's my boy. Um, huh. We actually met through my I don't college. Know John. I was just kidding. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he actually was on the All Armed Forces team, so I thought maybe you guys had a connection. I'll, we bet, found you, I'll bet you we got a, mutual, yeah. a lot of mutual friends. But go ahead. Yeah. So um, you know, so but they run a true not for profit, one team per age group. They have three coaches for every single team, right? Mm -hmm. They do. They bring in people like I've come in and talked about college recruiting. Kristen's come in with three other semi pro athletes talking about the light. You know. What does it take to be a pro athlete? What are the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Like really transparent information really sets them up for success. Like he does such a good job with that. And I know that it's not just us. And I do think that um, to your point, it's been hard for us to get a platform uh, because I'll be frank, like I, I'm i not gonna write for organizations that, that I know at some point if I'm speaking my truths that at some point they're gonna tell me either knock that off or you know, it, it doesn't align with, with their ethics. My ethics and theirs don't align. So, so uh, <laughs> we are absolutely, that's why I'm always, you know, I'm always grateful to say yes to be on your podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm always happy to talk about it. And again, it's not, I'm, I'm no, but change... I only bring up the things that we're doing wrong because I think there's a lot of people that want to do it right, but it is hard. But they feel like they're alone. Hear, well, it's, it's, they feel like they're everyone, alone too. Everyone else says we have to do it this way. And so if I don't do it this way, I'm holding my kid back from keeping up with their peers. They don't realize there's another way. They, they're like, we think there should be a better way, but it, it it's, it's a, a lot of people fear change for the worse instead of wondering how much better it can be. Look, that being said, I got I, I don't want to know it's 12.3. I got like five minutes because. All right, look, listen, I'll so fin but I'll finish. Round, I'll finish by saying this. Well, we did lightning rounds before and they're, they're pretty much the same questions, but I want to do it again anyway. Uh, but I, but I, I want to finish by saying this uh, and inciting change might start from one or two people, but but. And the uh, um, but bringing change has to be collective. That's Brecht, Bertolt Brecht, one of my favorite playwrights, uh, um, who was saying there's a there's power in numbers. And and I just, I, I just want to finish this message before we go to the lightning rounds because um, I feel like I always got to talk last because I'm an idiot. Uh, um, that coaches out there who share this kind of sentiment, you're not alone. You're not by yourself on this one, all right? You might feel like you're surrounded by a bunch of people like, oh, he wants to be that guy. Be that guy. Be that guy because there's, there's guys out there just like you, okay? And girls, sorry, girls, I'm all sexist like that. And girls out there just like you too, okay? We're talking about girls volleyball too, I mean. Jeez, let's let's shout out to some of these these wow. all, these fa absolutely female fantastic, fantastic female. Yeah. And all of my coaches are coaches of color because LA volleyball, we want we want people to understand Los Angeles isn't just 
blonde hair, blue eyed people. So, so LA volleyball club, 60% of my club are, are, are African American or other, or my, my team alone, 14 kids. Um, and I love it. And, and you, you, and we can get into their stories, maybe the next podcast, but I will only say this. When you listen to their stories, Jason Olive and I talked to each other and he said, girls like that are the reasons why I coach club. A girl like that, however you want to think of that, to our audience and to Brian, girls like that are exactly the reason why I'm, I'm coaching club. Um, lightning rounds, ready? Some of, them, some of them are repeated, some of them are new, okay? Um, let's get my clock. Do I got my clock? Oh, look at that. Just came out of nowhere. <laughs> and let's get my horn and let's tick it. We said this before, but favorite comedian? Ooh, man. Uh, was like man, Bill just Burr. say Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I like Bill. Oh, I like Chappelle, too. I like who, Burr. Who? Oh, Bill Burr. Burr. Oh, he's a savage. Yeah. Woo! You know. Okay, last good book you read, because that cha that changed, I'm sure. Ooh, uh, I did uh, Braving the Wilderness by Brené Brown. I'm working um, currently. I've got the persuaders uh-huh uh, i'm gonna butcher his last name basically like how do you how do you create movements in areas when people don't necessarily want to change from the norm um kristen's reading uh becoming champions uh by hugh mccutcheon and that's going to be on deck for me so nice uh yeah definitely doing a little more recreational reading than i've done mm. in the past so excited for it cool marvel or dc neutral <laughs> pool, pool or I, beach remind me what did you say pool or beach remind me Oh, beach. I'm not a water person. Right. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Uh, neither, man. I was Star Wars growing up. I don't do a lot of uh, Breaking Bad and uh, yeah, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Those are more of my shows. Nice. Bourbon, vodka, tequila, or um, Hawaiian Punch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got Gilbert syndrome, so alcohol is not nice to me. So Hawaiian punch is probably better. But uh, when, when I go to like wedding, a coach, a club coach. When, when, <laughs> when I go when I go to weddings, though, Tito's is always a safe bet. Nice. Uh, tell everybody again, sp favorite sport outside of volleyball. Ooh, I'm loving the NBA right now. It's yeah. such a good time if you're an NBA fan. It There's really so much is. talent. Every team's got a good storyline. It's the mm -hmm. parody is is there. So NBA's got my attention. Favorite action film star growing up. Ooh, action film star, huh? Um, you're 38. I mean, Matrix, so. so Keanu Reeves is always good. I was going to say you're 38. Genre, so. I got to go Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any fun conspiracy rabbit holes? <laughs> Ooh. Um. Mine's a JF. <laughs> like, for example, mine's a JFK assassination. Like, I, I, oh, I'm, I'm ex-military. I fired a weapon, and I, and I always challenged the, the the difficulty of that shot. Man, that off the top of my head. <laughs> All right, we'll do a skip uh, on that. We're, we're going, we're doing so well, man. We got to skip that. I ain't trying to leave the episode where Brian got a, has to say something like that. So the last good book, the, the book I'm reading right now is written by Matt Taibbi. It's called. Um, um, why why today's media makes us despise one another. The book is called Hate Inc. Hate Incorporated. He's been a little um, controversial the last Matt, couple of weeks, huh? Yeah. Well, he's what what happens when a lefty decides to do things that the the other lefties don't like, you're considered righty. So and and you know so, a, again that whole feeling amazing, alone thing. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying about like the whole feeling alone thing? The guy's never voted Republican in his life and he's considered right wing now because of the Twitter files. I just think um, it's absurd how we label you know, no. I, I, I'm a humanitarian mm -hmm. and there are some things that'd be one way more than the other. And yep. I think we, we, I just think it's great. And, and I don't want to get too far into it. 
330 million people in this country with all the things and and the pros and cons like it's crazy that we act like it's like one way is the right way and the other is the wrong way so stupid right i digress so dumb hey but for two good human beings um um brian mcdermott plug in the website or ig really quick yeah progression beach volleyball uh progressionvolleyball.com is our website uh-huh. uh coach b mcd on uh tiktok i've not been updating it but i just got this new gimbal so we're gonna be putting some tiktok stuff is out. fun i've been watching those beach. those tiktok yeah. videos are awesome oh so you haven't even seen the the footage i'm getting with this gimbal I, i've never i've never seen beach footage quite like it so i'm excited to share it and i like doing it both for our advanced players as well as showing with our kids i think all it's right. going to be really relatable for coaches of all levels on you know different things you can do to to you know just different tools to, to maybe help your kids. So, um, and then progression beach volleyball on, on Facebook is where we do a lot of our content and, uh, definitely going to be starting to do more reels. So and if anyone is, is, you know, if, if they're touched by some of the things I said, they agree with some of the things they're looking for feedback, like go to our website, hit our contact us, hit me up. I'm, I'm always looking for allies in the cause parents, players, yeah. coaches. Don't be surprised if that starts lighting up. I mean, cause it, again, there's a lot of people in the club scene that, really they like i have a lot of podcasts i'm on 171 but they really really look forward to the time the times you and i yeah. get to get together and, it, and if there's club directors looking for it like i'm, I'm might be going next month to the east coast like i want to start doing some whether it's camps um satellite camps i want to mm-hmm. help so some clubs that want to either start a beach program or modify it uh college guidance i do a lot of that so if, if anyone's ever looking for some extra tools in their bag for for helping their club and educating their parents players maybe you need a neutral party to come in to say the same message but they just need to hear it from someone else you know it's so important dude we'll yeah um so guys brian mcdermott might love you but for me you know no i, I think i love y'all too it's oh, friday after all these yeah I, I think i think i think you warm this cold heart of mine so guys this is brian mcdermott this is episode 171 of the option podcast thank you so much for joining me brian and for everybody else i'm jason debellius we're gonna hit my music thanks people we're out Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.